get recording there. First Timothy chapter one. Uh, what I'd like to do is we're going to read the first five verses and then we'll get going. Um, as I said, we'll we'll eventually get out of out of verse one. Um, but there are a lot of things there that we want to make sure that we got. So, First Timothy chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do." Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have your word. Uh, we're thankful for the opportunity to study it. Uh, and as we go through these passages, may we allow your word to be the final authority in all things that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope and that we come to a greater knowledge and appreciation of it that uh, we might be to the praise and honor of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the first couple messages, we just kind of said, okay, here's who Timothy is, right? So if you kind of think back in your mind, uh, we'll just do a little real, real quick review. Timothy is saved under Paul's ministry in Acts 14. When you get over to Acts chapter 16, you find out a little bit about Timothy and his family, right? What we find out about his mom is she's a Jewess and his father was a Greek. Well, we also find out, go over real quick to 2 Timothy. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 1. We find out a little bit more about who Timothy was. All right? Timothy was one of those, was one of those guys that, that just... The Word started working in him and he actually started doing some stuff. And, he, and so much so, as 1 Timothy says, Paul says, I'm going to leave you here at Ephesus. Right? And what happens is Timothy ends up becoming the pastor of the church there at Ephesus. But notice here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and he's and by the time we get to chapter, well, by the time we get to 2 Timothy, right? So 1 Timothy is the church in rule. Here's how the church is supposed to work in the local assembly. Chapter 2 Timothy gets into the church in ruin. So apostasy's already made its way into the local church. So by the way, don't be shocked when you see or hear apostasy today. It's been going on since Paul's time. I mean, he's dealt with it. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, Paul tells Timothy and the folks there at Ephesus, he says, I'm gonna, I want to remind you that there's people that are in your midst that are going to try and draw disciples unto themselves to go and do their own thing, or you're going to have folks from outside the local assembly that's going to do the exact same thing. So, what do you do? Well, we know that that's a, a, that we know that that's a problem. We know it's going to exist. So what we need to do is how do we deal with that if it does take place, all right? And so we don't do what Timothy does and get discouraged and think, well, you know, what's the purpose? Because that's kind of where Timothy is. And what Paul's doing in chapter, chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, he's kind of reminding him, saying, you know, get on with the program. Notice in verse 5, it says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in, that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. 
For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now that verse has been quoted ad nauseum for months and years for the last couple of years. But you've got to understand, the, the issue with, with verse 7 there of, of not having the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, that's not dealing with life's problems. That's dealing with ministry problems. And don't be fearful when somebody comes in and destroys your church. That's a hard thing to do. But, but that's what Timothy was doing. He was, he was fearful of all this stuff. In fact, verse 8, notice he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. He's saying, don't be ashamed of the testimony that Jesus Christ had and don't be ashamed of my testimony either. And said, in fact, what I'd like you to do is remind yourself of who you are in Christ and go be a part of that ministry. Go be a part of all that stuff in spite of that, that viewpoint that folks had. Um, and that's what he's doing. He's trying to get him back in. You know, you know, it's okay, Timothy. You messed up. Get back in it. You're still complete in Christ. Use that to move forward and get on with the program. Well, here in 1 Timothy, we've not gotten to that part yet. But what we do see is there are some issues that are already, already creeping in. And he's charging Timothy, he says, charge them that they teach no other doctrine. Which means what? There are people in that, in that local assembly that were teaching other doctrine. And he's saying, I want you to charge them not to do that. So there are some issues that he's already seeing. By the time you get over to 2 Timothy, it's just, you almost have this picture of Timothy off in the corner, cowering just like, man, it's just, is it over yet? When's the Lord coming? That's the way a lot of people, unfortunately, has been over the last couple of years. You know, you think about the stuff that's been going on with uh, shutdowns and all that stuff, and that's one of those things that a lot of people have gotten to that. What, what, you know, it's interesting when, when you start thinking about those things. What's the basis of our life to be based on is not all that stuff. Our life is to be based upon what? Who we are in Christ. And that's, that's one of those things that Paul's bringing up to Timothy. Notice back over here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, last time, in verse 1, he says, Paul. All right. So then, we talked a little bit about Paul. We didn't go into too much detail because at that time, we had our conference, and our conference was all about Paul. And I said, well, no reason to rehash all that stuff because that stuff's there. And we've talked about Paul and that stuff before. So we, we dealt with that. But then we started talking about an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we, we dealt with what does it mean for Paul to have been an apostle. Now, there were some issues that we were going through and dealing with that and the fact that he wasn't part of the twelve and you know all the stuff that we know about that. But the more important issue is that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God. We talked about the will of God. The will of God, the majority of the well, not the majority of the time, but a lot of the times when Paul or when Paul brings up this issue of God's will, it's dealing with the will of God for him to be the apostle of the Gentiles. So you've got to pay attention to that. Right? Last time we talked about what does it mean that is, is God our Savior? Right? We, we dealt with the fact that He is the deliverer of all men, especially of those who are of the body of Christ. Now, we mentioned this the last time in the first session. Did the twelve have an all-men ministry? No, right? We all know Matthew chapter 10 
right? Where, where God, where Christ calls out the twelve apostles and says, Don't go in the way into the way of the Gentiles or any city of the Samaritans enter you not, right? We go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we know that. So we know that they didn't have that. But what we do have today is God is the Savior of all men. That means He's He's made it possible for Him to be the Savior of all men without going through the nation of Israel. Now, who's He the actual Savior of is those that believe. Now, that's one of those things you kind of get mixed up on some things where some folks kind of get into some things and it's just not... It doesn't even make sense. You know... When we talked about earlier about the reconciliation of all things, a lot of people will use that verse and say, well, Satan's going to be saved one day. You're just like, that doesn't even make sense. But there's people that teach that, and they teach it from this book. You're like, well, that doesn't, that's, not, that's not a thing. It's not even possible. But they do it nonetheless. And they use that God's the Savior of all men and they use that verse to be able to say, well, that, that's, that's everybody. Well, what we know is in, according to Romans chapter 3, it's unto all and upon all them that believe. So it's available to everybody, but only those that actually believe have Him as their Savior. And that's an interesting thing because notice he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So what I want us to do today is take a look at some of those things. There's 81 times that that exact phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, shows up in your Scripture. The first time, go back, go over to Acts chapter 11. So grab Acts chapter 11 and Revelation 22. Acts chapter 11 and Revelation 22. The interesting thing that I found out about this is that exact phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, shows up 81 times and the first time is in Acts chapter 11 and the last time is in Revelation 22. So it's only after the salvation of Paul, which is an interesting thing, that we see that. But notice here, Acts chapter 11, verse 17. We see, it, we see it here. Peter, Peter's talking about he's vindicating his ministry to the Gentiles. Notice in verse 17, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as He did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? So that's the first time that we see that, that actual exact title of Lord Jesus Christ. Last one, Revelation chapter 22 Verse 21. By the way, it just so happens to be the exact last verse in the Bible. So it's interesting. Notice in verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, there are a lot of variations of that. The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, you know, uh, Jesus Christ our Lord, other variations. But I was just kind of curious. What about that exact phrase, Lord Jesus Christ? So there's some things that I want us to be able to think about and talk about as we're going through this. Um, Go back to Acts chapter 2. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Now I want us to I want us to 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 think about some things here real quick. Acts chapter 2, where do we find ourselves? Day of Pentecost, right? 
You've, you've just had the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He spent 40 days preaching and teaching to His disciples for 40 days about the things concerning the kingdom. And their question is, wilt thou this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And He, of course, doesn't answer them yes or no. He says, well, it's not, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Which is the first kind of indication that that timeline that we know about in Daniel might be changed a little bit. Right? You kind of think about that stuff. Notice here in, in, in Acts chapter 2, one of the things that, that Peter does is it's not, a, it's not good news that Peter's preaching here on the day of Pentecost. He's not saying, guys, just to let you all know, uh, Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again, and all that stuff. Notice what happens. Verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. You start thinking about that. Does that sound like a good good start off to a sermon. That's more like of a Baptist sermon. Like, I'm going to beat you down for a little bit and make you feel bad. Right? That kind of, that's what it kind of reminds me of in my past. But what he's saying is what? Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. So that he's, he's reminded them of who this guy is that they just crucified. That they said, let His blood be upon us and our, our seed, really. So he's saying, I just, want to, I just want to remind you all about who this guy is. Notice this. Drop down to verse 30. We'll just start off in verse 30 and we'll, we'll read in through the context here. Notice. Therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh... He would raise up Christ to sit on His throne. Of course, he's talking about David in verse 29. Verse 31, He seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that His soul was not left in hell, neither, was, was his, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Which Jesus? The Jesus is Nazareth that I just got through talking to you about in verse 22, right? Notice, who is he addressing there? Ye men of Israel. I want to remind you of the guy that you all just crucified and slain. Notice, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly. Now, here's what's interesting. He's just got through quoting Psalms. Notice he says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus. Well, which one? The one that you crucified, the one that God raised up, the one that He promised He was going to do something for Him and set Him at His, his own right hand. 
until he makes his foes his footstool, he says that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, what? Both Lord and Christ. So when we think about this, hold your place there. Go back, go back to Matthew real quick. Go back to Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> now, we've, we've talked about, you know, we, we've gone through, we've gone through uh, Matthew chapter 8 on Wednesday nights. We're in Matthew chapter 9 now. But there's something there that I find rather interesting um, that I want us to be able to think about as we, as we take a look at this. Notice in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. <clears throat> And this, of course, is Jesus Christ is it's right off. He's coming down from the mountain in chapter 8, verse 1. We get down here to verse 28 and it says, And when He was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met Him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee? What's that next word? Jesus. Now, there's something interesting that I that I find extremely interesting as you go through here. Um, if you go through and take a look, you can, you can double check me on this, and if I'm wrong, let me know. Um, outside of Acts chapter two, I don't know of any time that the disciples referred to Jesus as Jesus, Lord. But. And if I'm wrong, let me know because I've, I've, you know, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's possible I could have missed something. But it's an interesting thing. But the these demons do recognize him and uses that name Jesus. Now, one of the things that I've thought about doing is taking a look at that name, taking a look at that title, right? Lord Jesus Christ. And oftentimes, one of the things I've been thinking about is, how is it that we address Him? Notice that, what have we to do with Thee, Jesus, Thou Son of God? They knew who He was. They knew His name. But they only referred to Him as Jesus. Have you ever noticed, and this, you know, for what it's worth, have you ever noticed that a lot of a lot of like the contemporary music, it's it's the one or he, and they're very vague <laughs> with with the the terminology that they use to try to talk about God, and it's it's an interesting thing when they do use you you see Jesus, and that's it. And it's interesting to me. You take a look at that stuff, and again, double check me on that stuff, but. When we see those things, there's that issue of that same Jesus whom you've crucified, God has made both what? Lord and Christ. So how should we probably refer to Him would be Lord Jesus Christ. You kind of think about those things as we go through because, you know, it's, there's, there's other religions, they'll bring stuff up like that too. But just kind of think about that stuff as as you kind of see these things come through and pass by. Um, now go back to and, I, and I'll just kind of give that to you as, as something to think about. Go back over to First Timothy. 
Notice, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Now, there's a couple things that I want us to look at and think about here. What do we find out about the Lord Jesus Christ there? And one of the reasons why I think it might be important for us to be able to think about who He is and His name and His title uh, when we refer to Him is what? What is He in this passage, in that verse right there? He is what? Our hope. Let's go take a look at a few things real quick. Go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We'll start off here in verse verse 12. And there's there's a bunch of other other places we can go and take a look at this, but this is to me this is one of those things you might want to might want to take a look at. Romans chapter 15. We'll start here in verse um Let's start off in verse 8. Kind of get an idea of what we've got. Romans 15, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written. For this cause I will confess, I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud Him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. Notice, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, according to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, who is our hope? Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So when we think about that, notice, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You know, we, th- we, we, talk about, we talk about the issues of who we are in Christ and how that should rule and reign really in all things that we think, say, do, feel, and act. But what we see here is, he says what? That ye may abound in hope. Well, you know, we, we talked about before about knowledge and understanding and, and wisdom and prudence. We talked about that a little bit. Um, having, knowing, knowing something isn't enough, right? Just having a head knowledge of something isn't enough. Never has been, never will be. So when we think about those things, there's something else that has to go along with that. And of course, that's understanding, Right? So we know some stuff, but we understand it. Is it good to know that we have peace with God? You go to Romans chapter 5 and we're told that you have peace with God. Is it good to know that you have peace with God? Yeah. Is it even better to understand what that peace means? Isn't it even more so better to know how to use that peace? Right? That's that wisdom stuff. And how to use it at the right time. Well, the same thing goes for this. Notice the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Well, if you think about that, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. 
How? In believing. Not just knowing, but understanding. You know, we, we, we talk about Romans chapter 6, the idea of know and reckon and yield. You know, you know that you have peace with God. You know you have joy. And you know you have peace. But do you reckon it to be true for yourself in your everyday life? Well, since we have Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, then we have everything that we need and all we have to do is what? Reckon it to be true. That's that believing part. Moving it from knowing it to actually understanding it. How does that affect me? You know, it's interesting. You think you go through 1 Timothy, you're like, you know, how can anything written to 1 Timothy in the first century about a pastor that's a, that's a pastor of a church in Ephesus, how is any of that going to be applicable for me today? We find out every bit of it is. Right? We found out last time, the fa- or a couple times ago, that the fact that we know that Paul's our apostle is an important thing in our, in our everyday life. Because if we try to go back and do things according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're not going to have joy. We're not going to have peace. We're going to think that we're lost, that we've lost something, that we're coming short on something when God says, I've given you everything right off the bat, and all you've got to do is just trust what my word says and count that to be true. Knowing that you have peace and knowing that you have joy. And what's, what, what's he asking here is now the God of hope fill you with all joy. How much joy? All joy. How much peace? All peace. Oftentimes, what I've found out in my life, and, and, and you may have found this to be true or, or not, I'm not sure, but if you're not joyful or you're not at peace, it's because we don't understand. We think we understand what joy and peace really is. But we don't understand it. I know life happens. Life is always going to happen. Bad things are always going to happen. You can't prevent that. We're in a sin-cursed world. But if we're not, if we're not, if we don't, if we don't understand how joy and peace should be operative in our lives, that's why we're never going to be joyful or have peace. And often, more often than not, it's because we're trying to do things in ourselves rather than just believing what His Word says. He's given us everything. Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, who, which is our hope, notice, that ye may abound in hope. You ever thought about that word abound? It's more than enough. Right? If, if you think... You know, when, when Paul talks about that God is, is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, it's not that He's going to make you rich or make you healthy and all that stuff. It's, would you have ever thought about a way to help people out is to say, I'm going to go and die for you. Would you have ever thought about that? Would you have ever come up with a religion where the God that's behind that religion would do that for you? The answer is no. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly, exceedingly, more than enough, abundantly, more than enough, above all that we ask or think. We couldn't even fathom what He does. It's the same thing here, that ye may abound in hope. 
And it's not just enough to get me through the day. It's more than enough to get me through every single day in the rest of my life. How? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, it's an interesting thing we start thinking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost and, and how, those, how those things work together. Um, what? Go real quick. We're right here. Go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. <clears throat> It's been a long time since I've talked about this pet peeve, so let's talk about this one. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, 1 Corinthians or 1 Timothy? 1 Corinthians. Did I say Timothy? Yeah. <laughs> Did anybody else hear me say 1 Timothy? It's okay, you can tell me. It's all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. My apologies. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. This is a personal pet peeve of mine. Somebody comes up and quotes, but, I, but as it is written, I have not seen nor heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. See, you just don't know what God has in store, so just wait and see what happens. If it happens good, if it doesn't happen bad, if it does happen good, but you wanted it to be bad, then it's okay because that's what God chose. If you wanted it to be bad, but it was supposed to be good, then you know, it's, it's a mess. It makes sense, I promise. Go back and watch it at one half speed. But here's the thing. The issue is, it's not, well, just wait and see if it happens right. Then that means God's behind it. Unless He meant it for bad to teach you something. And that's what a lot of people will do. I grew up in that stuff. And they use that verse as a crutch and saying, well, we just don't know. Well, here's the problem. There's a verse that comes after verse 9. Verse 10 says what? But. Do you know what that means? I'm getting ready to say something different that's what I just got through saying. Notice. But God hath. That's past tense. Revealed. That's past tense. Them. What's the them? The things that He has prepared for them that love Him. The them, there are those things in verse 9. Unto us by the Spirit. You know what He's done? He's not left us here to figure stuff out on our own. He's, he's actually revealed all those things to us. How? By His by Spirit. Notice that's a capital S there. That's the Holy Spirit. There's a job that the Holy Spirit has today, and this is the job. Notice. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Do you, do you think that maybe perhaps the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost knows what God has in store for you today? Do you think that He knows what this book says? He wrote it, so He does. So when it says, for, um, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, verse 11, for what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. You know the interesting thing about that is? The only way that we can know what God has in store for us through His Scripture is through the Holy Spirit. One of the saddest days in my life, and the more I look back on this, the worse it gets. When I was sitting at the table with my dad, probably two or three years before he passed away, when I was sitting in front of my dad at the table and he says, Greg, I'm reading the Bible in this particular place and I have no idea what it means. 
Looking back on that, now my thought is, the only way that you can actually study the Bible the correct way is, A, you've got to be saved. You have to have the Holy Spirit in you. If you don't, then you're never going to understand it. We'll see that in the passage. So then, now I look back and I think about that conversation and I'm thinking, is it, is it possible that my dad that was a Baptist preacher wasn't saved? Because if he had the Holy Spirit, what's the Spirit going to do? And we're going to see is he teaches us. So then, of course, I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to question all the stuff that I was brought up in. And so then that, that goes through my mind all the time. Now, it could have just been something that it was just a tough passage, but you know, we'd had conversations. He's like, I just don't, I don't, I don't see that's what it says. And I'm like, well, it... of course, one day I'll know if I see him or not. I'll know if, if he was. But now I've got this question in my mind, because I never heard the gospel until I was 21. And it's one of those things I sit and think about. I don't know if he was. He might be, and it might just have been a, a, a weird passage that he couldn't figure out. But it just, little things kind of make me rethink some stuff. You know, one of the worst things that I would say, you know, when we were up in Chicago, I talked about legacy. You know, that's a big thing now is legacy. What am I going to leave my family or my kids or whatever? Doubt of your salvation is the worst legacy you can leave your child. Being doubtful of your salvation is the worst legacy you can leave your child. Because that's where I am all the time. And I don't know. So that's one of those things. I wish that I could go back and have conversation with my dad. But I can't now. And like I said, one day I'll find out. Hopefully he was. Hopefully he did. And I just didn't know. But notice... Verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows what God's doing today in the dispensation of the grace of God. Verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Why? that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. There's that word freely again we talked about earlier, right? That word freely is important. What is, it that, what is it that we have? We have the Spirit which is of God. Why? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. When, when, I, thought, when I think about the doubt that I have with my dad, I don't have joy or peace in that doubt. But if he did know, then he would actually understand Scriptures. And notice in verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. Now, take this back to what we were dealing with earlier. The spirit of the world, that was that corrupted wisdom, right? We talked about earlier. Um, the, the, wor the words which man's wisdom teaches, that's that corrupted wisdom. Um, 
but not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. That's His job today. Notice, that's that same Holy Ghost that we talked about earlier, right? So we see this. There's a function here that the Holy Spirit has that, that when you see Him functioning in a, in a way, then He's the Holy Ghost. What's the function here of the Holy Ghost as to what? He teaches us. That's His job today. <coughs> so in order for us to have Him do His job, what do we have to do? Well, we need to get in this book, come to a knowledge of what the book says, start trusting what the book says by believing it, and then put it to use. Whether the circumstances look like they're going to be in favor of what we want or not, we still do that. Notice, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Notice, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, years ago, so verse 9 was my pet peeve, and now my new pet peeve is verse 13. <clears throat> because oftentimes I hear people say, well, the Holy Ghost teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Well, the problem is, does that say spiritual things with spiritual things? Spiritual things with what? Spiritual. <clears throat> so what happens is, what are the spiritual things? Context is going to be the Word itself. He's comparing the Word itself with the believer himself or herself. What is it that you've actually, by your own free will, chosen to store up in your soul? And He's comparing your Scriptures that's in you with the actual Word. So he's comparing those spiritual things, those words that are written down with spiritual, what actually is in you. What have you actually moved from here to here? Does it match and line up with this? <coughs> to know that we have that ability to come to a knowledge and understanding and use by wisdom and prudence what we read in these books in these books of the Bible, it's an important thing that we actually have that. We have the ability to do so. But, you're, you're working on building a, an addition on your house, right? So you're laying out the blocks and stuff. So, question. If you said, I'm not going to put blocks out, I'm just going to build, what's going to happen to it? going to fall apart. So if you don't have all the proper equipment to do what you're supposed to do to build the addition, it's not going to last long, right? Well, it's the same thing with the Scriptures. If we don't take the things that we actually have and use the basis of it and the foundation that we have in here and build that up in us, when something does come along, we're not going to have something to fall back on to go and live. And we've talked about it all the time. <clears throat> Store up things now when the going's good because when the going gets tough, you're going to have to fall back on something. And it's either going to be the Scripture or yourself. And yourself's going to be a mess every single time, I guarantee it. Because I've done it before. Been there, done that. As I say, bought the t-shirt, took it to Goodwill. Right? That's that, that's that thing. We look at those things. We, we allow... 
So if the Holy Spirit is supposed to take spiritual things, that word, and compare it to what's in us, what do we do? <clears throat> we have to have something there for Him to work with. If we don't have this in us, if we don't have the building material in us, He can't do the work in us. <coughs> Verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. When you look at that, he's dealing with <clears throat> he's dealing with unsaved people. That's why that's why when I say, in order for you to understand the Bible, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're never going to understand this book. There are people that I know that say, I've read the Bible through dozens or hundreds of times, and they say it just doesn't make sense. Well, there's a reason. <clears throat> You've never trusted in what Christ has done for you. And if you've not done that, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can't teach you. Because you're a natural man. You're going to look at these things and say, well, none of this makes sense. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Verse 15, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Here's, the, here's what it comes down to. When we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, notice this. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Have <clears throat> you ever thought about the fact that you have access to the mind of Christ here in these books? How would, you know, years, years ago, what was it, late 90s or something like that, the WWJD bracelets and all that stuff, what would Jesus do? Well, how do you answer that question? Well, go read the book. But what a lot of people did is like, okay, this situation comes along in my life. How am I going to deal with it? What would Jesus do? Um, well, if you don't know who Jesus was, by the way, that goes back to the just using Jesus type thing. But <clears throat> my question would be, what would the Lord Jesus Christ do in this situation? Well, since we have the mind of Christ, then we can actually answer that question correctly. Because that's one of those things that we have. Now, um, get, uh, get 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll take a look at some of these things real quick. First Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll take a look at a couple other verses then we'll finish up. First Thessalonians chapter two. <clears throat> let's take a look at. Um, let's start off in verse fourteen. Verse thirteen, of course, is the verse that tells us that the word of God is going to work effectually in you that believe. So you've got to believe it. Verse fourteen: For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered the like, suffered like things of your own countrymen even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always. 
for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in present, in, for a short time in pre- presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, and even I, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope and joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Think about that. The Lord Jesus Christ who is our hope. Notice, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are are not ye even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? What's the answer to that question? Yeah. You go over to Thessalonians there, next page over, and what do you find out? The Lord Himself shall descend. (laughs) He's not sending angels to come get us. He's coming to get us Himself. And He said, look at that that hope that we have, whether it's rapture or whatever whatever you die or rapture, either way, you're going up. That rapture is our hope. And that hope is, is uniquely tied to Jesus Christ. One last verse and we'll finish off. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We'll start here in verse 25. Colossians chapter 1 verse 25. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. By the way, that's us. Alright? We've talked about it before. Oftentimes I don't like bringing it up, but. <clears throat> A lot of times people say, well, Greg's a math teacher. Okay. I'm a saint of the most high God that teaches math. Okay. <laughs> think, of, think about that in your job. I'm a saint of the most high God and I do this for a living. My identity is not in what I do. My identity is not in me being a teacher. My identity is who I am in Christ and I am a saint of the most high God because of Christ. Not because I've done something or I am something or I can do something, but I am what I am. As Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, I, what, I am what I am because of the grace of God. So when we take a look at that and think about we are, we are saints of the Most High God, notice, to whom, that's His saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now, I love this verse because I want us to think about something. <clears throat> you got the riches of the glory of this mystery. So one of the things that we spend a lot of time on is, here's this mystery truth. Well, that mystery truth has some glory attached to it. And that glory has riches attached to it. So it's not just, let's talk about the mystery. 
But let's also talk about that glory that's attached to it. But let's not stop there. Let's talk about the riches of that glory of the mystery. And he's going to tell us what those riches of the glory of this mystery is. Notice, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the riches of us having Christ in us. That's the riches of the glory of this mystery. Is that Christ in us, the hope of glory. So he's not only which is our hope, but he is the hope of glory. He's he's the one that we rely on. It's his mind that we have access to that we should put on. You know, go over to Philippians and it's the same idea. Have this same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And that goes back to what we talked about before. What did God's wisdom say is, I want to be you-centered, not me-centered. Man's wisdom says, look at me, not anybody else. Care about me, I care about me, and I care about me. God's wisdom says, I'm going to go and die on a cross for a people that hate me. (laughs) And not only that, but I'm going to, just by them believing what I did, I'm going to give them my righteousness. Not only that, but I'm going to give them my life. I'm going to glorify them. I'm going to sanctify them. I'm going to give them all these things. And I'm going to bless them with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And he says, I'm going to do all that for their glory, which is Christ in us. So go back over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We finally got through verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, how? By the commandment of God, who is, the, who is God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, but well, who's He, which is our hope? So think about, think about those things. You know, one of the things we, we always think about is, it's good to know this stuff, here, but it's good to remind ourselves of that stuff after we leave. Just keep that stuff in your mind. Understanding who we are in Christ and allowing that to be the final authority in all things, just allowing His Word to be the thing. And not just knowing stuff to know it to say that I know it, but knowing stuff to say I can use it, and I can use it correctly, and I can use it at the right time. Because that's the main goal. Because knowing it doesn't help you through life knowing how to use it and use it correctly is where it actually, how do I apply this thing in my life at this particular time? Do I know something? If you don't, get in the book and find something because it's going to be there. And so, you know, as we go through here, and again, like I said, how could, how could we ever think that a, a book written to a pastor in first century Ephesus would have any impact on us today, it does, if we allow it to. And that, that's the main issue, all right?